Welcome to the Dog Liaison Podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. On this podcast, we like to get nerdy in understanding dog behavior and cognition. So if you like science, you want to know the why behind why your dog does what he does, and overall you just enjoy deep diving, then this podcast is for you. So let's get into it. I'm super excited for today's discussion. I previously did an episode all about our thinker anxious dogs. And in today's episode, I really want to talk about our feeler anxious dogs, our sensitive souls, our empaths, our very emotional friends. They are heavily influenced by the energy, by the emotions around us. And in my opinion, these kids are actually way easier to recover their anxiety than our thinker types. Uh, And I'm going to talk about why that is in today's episode. So as a general disclaimer, we always like to open up this discussion in that we were talking about generalities. And any time that we try to type a dog, it is no doubt going to falter. It is no doubt not going to stand 100% true. So of course, we were talking in generalities today, but I nevertheless think that we can simplify, if we're going to simplify types of dogs and kind of categorize them, it can give us a basis. It gives us a foundation to work off of, right? And so it's good to think about categorizing dogs just so that we can have strategies. We have a focal point. We have an, an idea of where we're headed. Yes. And that is the purpose of typing our emotional or our feelers. Um, But of course, even if you have a thinker, or even if you don't necessarily think your dog is fully empathetic, like in the, in the, in the context that I talk about today's episode, I nevertheless absolutely think that there are strategies that you can take away from this discussion because uh, at the second half, at the latter half of this episode, I'm going to be giving you actionable strategies to implement in your dog's recovery, in your dog's uh, training that will help you if you have a more empathetic or more feeler sensitive type. My name is Jenna. I'm a professional dog trainer. I work exclusively with dogs facing multiple anxiety related disorders. And here at Dog Liaison, all we do is talk about anxious dogs and everything you could ever dream about when it comes to dealing with your dog's mental health recovery. So if that sounds like your jam, stick around, uh, listen to some of our other episodes, read our content, join our YouTube camp community, all that good jazz. When we're talking about our feelers, they are heavily influenced by their own emotions, heavily influenced by the emotions of other dogs, heavily influenced by the emotions of the guardians around them, the people around them, the overall, you can simplify it and kind of get woo -woo with it and think the overall energy, the vibe of the space, right? And if you've been following Dog Liaison for a little while, you know, I tend to not like to talk about things that are very abstract and indescribable as like energy. But I think that that we all know what we're talking about when we think about like the energy of the space. Is it running high? Is it really enthusiastic? Or is it kind of um, more strict, more firm, more tense in nature? Or is it more laissez-faire and just kind of impromptu? Like that is one of the things that we're going to be tapping into is understanding how are our dogs reading the energy of a space and how is it impacting how they show up in that moment, how they behave, for lack of a better word, in that moment, right? Now, with our feelers, these kids, they are heavily influenced by associations. They can stay in that classical conditioning stage for a while. 
they are heavily influenced by building an association with an experience. And a lot of times we like to think of associations as just positive, negative, good, bad, right? But for the purpose of these feelers, they're actually making it a little bit even more specific than just good, bad. They're thinking, does this moment make me feel content, peaceful? Does this moment make me feel frustrated? Does this moment make me feel loved and cuddled and safe? Does this moment make me feel angry? Does this moment make me feel confused? With them, their associations are so much more specific than just is this good or bad. It's far more nuanced than that. They're really leaning into what is my internal experience in this moment? And that is the association that they're going to build. If they're confronted with a trigger or confronted with an event, they're not just simplifying it and thinking, this is a good thing, this is a bad thing. They're really analyzing, this makes me feel frustrated. I don't like this. Or, oh, I really love how much my human is loving me in this moment right now. Oh, I can feel the love. Oh, and I just want all the cuddles. I just want to rub my head into you and just feel this moment. Or, you know, I really feel angry. Like I, I just, I'm angry with this event. I don't want them near me. I don't like that they're near me. I just don't feel good. Right. And so they're getting more into their emotions. And the, and the good and bad with this is that they're quicker to jump to those emotions, quicker to jump to those associations when the event occurs, right? They're less analytical in nature in the sense that they're not sitting there pondering it and thinking about what's going to happen. What does this mean? They're more thinking, I don't like the way this makes me feel, right? Oh, I don't like this. Or I love the way this makes me feel. Now, the cool thing about these dogs, these more feeling type dogs, is that you can heavily influence how they feel about something based off of what you do. You can heavily influence how your dog feels about a trigger based off of your behavior and based off of how you feel about the trigger. A lot of times we hear trainers and dog culture in general be like, you're causing your dog's anxiety. You're causing your dog to feel more stressed because you're stressed, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And if you guys listen to even just two videos of mine or two episodes of mine, you know how I feel about that. I, I hate that crap because it's so dismissive. It doesn't actually take into account what's really going on. However, it is true that if you are feeling more nervous about something, more frustrated about something, our feelers are going to feel that that much stronger. Our feelers are going to go, wow, if mom isn't feeling good about this thing, then that must mean it really isn't good. Like that must mean that this is a truly, I was right. This is a bad thing to see even mom feels bad about it, Right. The flip side to this, though, is that you can change their mind about something just as easily. So if they are, if you're near a trigger and the trigger is making them feel fearful and then you let them crawl up into your arms and go, it's okay, it's okay. And you talk to them and you coddle them, even though other people, other trainers are like, don't do that. Ironically, with our feelers, that actually is very beneficial for them. Um, and the cool thing about these kids is that because they're hanging out in their association stage a little bit longer, they're not jumping to that behavior operant part. Because they're hanging out in that stage a little bit longer, 
when you are indeed giving them treats in that moment to build that association of this is good, you like this, good things happen with this stage, or you can crawl into my arms and I will talk to you, I'll use a happy tone, I'll pet you, I'll scratch your ears, right? When you start using some of these other associative building techniques, it's incredibly impactful on these kids. They really lean into it. They get excited. They're like, oh, thank you so much. And you can exacerbate that association stage so much better without running the risk of them thinking you're reinforcing the behavior. Now I have a full episode on what I mean by when can you reinforce a a undesired behavior Uh, an undesired association and when you can't reinforce undesired association. So I'm not going to dig deep into that discussion. If you want to go listen to that, uh, it's in season one and it's called, uh, can I reinforce my dog's fear or can I reinforce my dog's bad behavior if I'm feeding them when they're reactive? So that episode is a full expansion on this, on what I mean by reinforcing an emotion versus reinforcing a behavior. But what I can tell you is that it, for the purpose of this episode, When we're thinking about our analytical dogs, our thinker dogs, they are more prone to believe when you feed them in that moment, they're more likely not to say that they will, but I would say overall, they're more likely to accidentally think that you're reinforcing a behavior because they're staying in that more operant state. They're staying in that more logic-based state. Whereas our feelers are so much in their hippocampus, they're so much in the back of their brain, they're so much feeling their pheromones, they're all up in their emotions, that because they're naturally staying in that associative stage, if you stay in that associative stage with them, it is all the better. Like, give them love, talk to them, make them feel safe, tell them how they how you feel about it. Oh, that thing is so cool. Look how fun it is. And just that tone will help them understand, oh, I do like this. If mom likes this, I like this. If dad likes this, I like this. They're taking note from how you're behaving about something. So the other thing about these feelers is they are more prone in, in, this is just anecdotal evidence here. Okay. Again, we're putting dogs in a box. So this is a generality based on anecdotal evidence. Okay. But when we think about these dogs, they are more prone in general to a hyper attachment to their guardian. And this can be for a lot of reasons. I believe, I hypothesize that it is because they're getting their energy, they're getting their information from how the guardian feels about something, from how the guardian is operating. And so if you remove that guardian from the equation, then they're strictly relying on themselves and it's harder. It requires more resources for them to figure out how they feel about something. It's not that they can't do it. It just requires more resources. But if they have their guardian with them to kind of guide them and help them maneuver the world and figure out how the world works because that guardian is with them, it just feels more secure. It just feels easier for them. And so they're more likely to want to be near their guardian because they're feeding off each other's emotions so much. You're feeding off your dog's emotions. Your dog is feeding off of their, your emotions. The bond becomes, I don't want to say stronger because that implies that if you don't have that, then you don't have the connection. So I don't want to say that, but the bond becomes, I would say much more interwoven right? And I want to pause here and kind of give an example of what I mean. So when I have my dog, I've talked a couple of times, my dog is very much a thinker. Okay. And my dog is pretty darn independent. He makes his own decisions about the world. When we're out on a safari, he's not looking at me. He's not 
trying to see what I'm up to. He's like, I sniff you. I know you're there. If your smell goes away, I might look for you. (laughs) But otherwise, I'm off doing my own thing. Right. And we are operating on pretty much two different wavelengths. Now, if I started panicking and I started getting alarmed, he probably would recognize that and respond and be like, what's going on? But for the most part, we're not feeding off each other's energy. We're sort of just operating in two different wavelengths simultaneously. Yeah. With these feeler guardian bonds, you guys are so closely on the same wavelength that it's indescribable. It really starts getting to this point where you're like, I don't even know how I feel that my dog is anxious. I like, I don't even know how I feel. How, how do I know that my dog doesn't like this? Cause she's not barking. She's not crawling. She's not crying underneath the table. She's not doing anything, but I just feel that she doesn't like it. It's indescribable. This happens a lot with this hyper attachment relationship, right? And I'm not saying this to say it's a bad thing because the thing is, I know that there are a lot of trainers who would tell you that this level of connection between a dog and you is dangerous, that somehow it's because you're letting your dog feed off your energy so much. They're so not independent that like, you're just a bad guardian and you just need to learn how to push your shoulders down and puff up your chest and be brave. Like, I know that this is the the lie that gets perpetuated and I'm not trying to perpetuate that. In fact, I'm trying to do the inverse. What I want you to do is recognize that that connection is happening between the two of you and now use it to your advantage. Hey there, Dog Guardian. It's me jumping in to ask you if you would not mind, please leave a review if you are enjoying this show. It helps us tremendously in the algorithm. We would really appreciate it. And most importantly, please share this with a friend. Either post on your IG stories and make sure that you tag us so that we can celebrate with you or share it directly with a friend through DM or email and just let them know, hey, this episode made me think of you and you really should listen to it. Thank you so much for your support and let's get back into the episode. Use this level of connection, this level of like influence that you have on one another to your advantage. Do not try to get rid of it as other trainers may suggest. Do not say that you have to just be stonewalled and just be like, I do not have any emotions. And so I'm just going to feed and yes, and I'm going to be monotone and everything is going to be hunky dory. And if I just make myself as monotone and straight-faced as possible, my dog will finally be able to think for herself. No. If anything, doing that will freak your dog out. (laughs) If anything, if you decided to all of a sudden rid yourself of emotion and rid yourself of energy, your dog is going to look at you like, what the hell does that mean? What, what, What are we doing? What is that? If anything, that's going to cause more anxiety because she feels like she's not getting information from you, right? Because her source of information is so closely connected to you and your emotions that if you get rid of that, you're going to instill anxiety in that. So don't do that. Instead, use this connection to your advantage. And what do I mean by this? Because I know you're thinking, okay, how would we use it to our advantage, Jenna? Well, A, like we talked about earlier, staying in that associative stage longer, right? 
stay in the associative stage by worrying about just when you're in that, you're going to feed every single time the trigger comes and you're going to hang out in that stage a little bit longer than you even want to, right? Two, you're going to talk to your dog. You're going to talk to your dog. You're going to talk to your dog and you're going to talk to your dog. And also, by the way, you're going to talk to your dog using tone, using inflection, And she's not going to be able to recognize the words in a cue necessarily, but she's going to be picking up energy, quote unquote, she's going to be picking up emotion through the sounds that you emit. So it's providing her that information. You're also going to use your facial expressions. There has been so much science on how aware dogs are about our facial expressions. There is so much science. It's almost too much science, to be honest, because it's like we get it dogs pick up on faces, right? So you're going to use that to your advantage. You're going to smile. You're going to, you know, raise your eyebrows. You're going to show your teeth in a happy way. You're going to giggle. You're going to use your facial expressions to imply how to feel about something. You're also going to use something called mimicry. Now, mimicry is this phenomenon that overall is a hypothesis. Okay. It is not necessarily, I would say, proven in the animal kingdom science world. Okay. But it is a pretty good hypothesis. We see mimicry occur, especially in mammals. There's a lot of evidence to say that even dog to dogs will mimic each other. So when you're using this tool of mimicry, which I'm going to describe in a second, when you're using this tool of mimicry, you're doing it off of a hypothesis, right? It's an educated guess. This is one of those things that's not necessarily provable, but you're like, hi, I have a feeling. I have a feeling if I just do this, my dog is going to like try to imitate it, right? That's the sense of mimicry is like, if we do something, our dog is going to want to do something. So here's how this works. Let's say you really want your dog to get comfortable with a mat. Perhaps you're trying to teach a relaxation protocol and you really want your dog to get comfortable with a mat. Well, what you would do is you would all of a sudden pull out the mat and you're not going to address your dog. You're not going to look at your dog. You're not going to call your dog over. You're not going to say anything to your dog. You're just going to pull out the mat and you're going to start looking at the mat. You're going to smile at the mat. You're going to pet the mat. You're going to turn it over. You're going to get really excited about the mat. You're going to show a lot. You might roll around and lay on the mat, right? You're going to like, this mat is so cool. And then your dog's going to notice you and she's like, what are you doing? what is, what is going on with the mat you got over there? What's, what, what is that? What you got going on? Now you said your dog's going to come over and be like, can I play part of that? Yeah, come on, come play with the mat. The mat's pretty cool. And then and then your dog's going to be like, well, okay, now that the mat's here, like, what do we do with the mat? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. You know what we're going to do? We're going to jump right into our relaxation protocol. What a great idea, dog. Thank you so much for bringing that over. I think you're right. We should relax by the mat. You know what we should do? We should just sit here on the floor and we should just start to get a couple of treats for calm behavior. And you know what else I'm going to do? I'm going to take a lot of deep sighs while I'm on the mat with you. I'm going to take a lot of deep sighs. I'm going to slow my talk a little. I'm going to start using peaceful tones. I'm still going to smile. I'm just going to really imitate what I want my dog to do. You know what's cool? I have gotten more empath dogs to imitate a sigh on cue than 
I can imagine. I can, uh, this is harder with our more independent dogs because they're so hardwired. They're start overanalyzing. Like, what does the sign mean? Right. But our empath dogs are so aware and our dogs are going to be like, wow, what a great idea, mom. Wow. That does feel good. Thanks for that, mom. And, and right now you might be thinking I'm crazy, but I'm telling you, if I have spoken to you about who your dog is, I want you to try this the next time you do a relaxation protocol. I want you to try using your size as cues to your dog that they should also give deep size and settle their heart rate as well. Because these dogs are so aware, it's insane how in tune they are with our emotions. And they're using it off of a lot of things. Like I said, they're using it off of our facial expressions. They're using it off of our body language, but they're also spelling our pheromones. They're also knowing how is this person feeling based off of the pheromone that they're emitting. If you have one of these dogs, as I said, personally, I think working through a more empathetic dog, a dog who's very in tune with their guardian's emotions, I personally think working with this dog is easier than working with a dog that's more independent thinker, more analytical and moving at just like their brain is at 1200%, right? And the reason is, is because we can influence how they behave and how they feel about something a lot faster. And we can hang out in that associative stage a lot faster or a lot longer rather. But there is a con side, there is a downside to these kids. And that is that if the association, if the energy of the space, and I'm going to describe what I mean by energy in a moment, because I know that's vague, but if the energy of the space is, is the opposite of what the dog should be doing, this can be difficult. So here's an example of what I mean. You have guests come over through the door and there's a lot of commotion. There's a lot of talking. The people are coming in the door. They're like, Hey, how's it going? Uh, how's Everything is very big. Every, everyone's walking around. We've got bags, especially if it's Christmas. You've got like all your shenanigans in your hands. You're cooking, you're on the move, you're doing the thing, right? Your dog is feeling the commotion in that space and is going, wow, I should also be moving. I, I should also be doing things, right? Cause like stuff is happening if they're also suffering from overwhelm in that moment. So it's not so much that they're like getting excited, but they're also becoming overwhelmed by the moment. And it's also tapping into that fight, flight, or freeze response. And now that's escalating that this can be where you run into hiccups, right? And this is one of the reasons why we have our feeler anxious dogs, because what ends up happening is people come into the door and your dog's adrenaline goes coursing and all of a sudden they're redirecting on you or they're biting the baby or they're whatever. Right. And we're like, Oh my gosh, I just don't want to happen. Well, the energy in the space lifted. So your dog's energy lifted, which probably, or in this case probably did engage the fight, flight or freeze response. And now you got a fight, flight or freeze response behavior. <laughs> right. So where this can go awry and where you have to be mindful in your learning and in your training plan creation is where are there going to be events when the energy of the space is the opposite of what I want my dog to be actually doing? Because if she's picking up on all of the things, it's going to be harder for her to do the opposite, right? She's going to lean into whatever everyone else is doing. 
I feel like it's harder because I have to be so much more careful of his feelings and the environment than I did with my non-reactive dogs. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is like, I feel like that statement could be true about any dog that is reactive. I feel like being mindful of and careful of his feelings is imperative regardless. What I would say is what you have to be more aware of with these dogs is actually how you're feeling, right? You have to be more cognizant of how are you feeling in that day? Because if you're feeling stressed, even if it has nothing to do with your dog, if you're feeling stressed in that day, that's going to run right down the leash. And by the way, that's true for any dog too, I guess, but it's especially true with our empaths. The thing is, is they're picking up on emotions and they're not always able to interpret where those emotions are coming from guys. And that's normal. That's because they're dogs and, and they're only allotted so much information about the universe. Right. So a lot of times there's emotions in the space but they're not able to interpret where are those emotions coming from and why are they here? So if you're stressed about something, if you're fearful of something, if you're worried about something that can run right down the leash and your dog might misinterpret where that fear is coming from, where that stress is coming from and, and associate it with something else in the environment. Here's a, here's a real world example of what I mean. You go out onto walks and you've become anxious every single time you go out on walks, right? And your dog's triggers have now become your triggers. And now like the idea of going outside with your dog is paralyzing. You're like, I do not want to do that. Right. Because it's just going to cause me so much stress. I'm going to feel fatigued afterwards. Like I just do not want to do that. And so your stress is because of the walk itself. But let's say you decide to go out on the walk regardless. You're like, my dog needs exercise. So I'm going to go do it. Right. Well, you go out and do that walk. Your dog is feeling the stress. Your dog is feeling your overwhelm. Your dog is feeling your fatigue. It's just, he doesn't realize it's because he's out on a walk with you. He thinks it's because the environment is doing that to you. He thinks it's because that dog over there barking behind the fence is causing mom fatigue and stress. And he thinks that it's because, you know, that person that's walking, you know, 500 feet away from us is causing mom stress. Right. So he's going to start linking your fatigue and your emotions to other pieces of information because he's like, mom wasn't feeling this way two hours ago when we were outside or inside in the house. Now we're outside and that person with the hat 500 feet away is here. So therefore, it must be because of the guy with the hat 500 feet away. (laughs) That's not a stupid conclusion. Like if you go through his thought process, it's actually very logical. Like it's a very analytical thought process. It's just that. Unfortunately, our dogs can only operate with a certain level of information. They're not entirely, they're very intelligent, but they're still operating with a limited piece of information about what the world is giving them, right? So I would say if you have these dogs, you just have to be very aware of how am I feeling? And if you're not in a good state for learning, you definitely should be not taking your dog out and putting them in a situation. It's just going to cause chaos, okay? All right, my friends, I hope that you have a fabulous rest of your day. Thank you so much for joining me live and I will see you guys tomorrow. Bye, my friends. Hey there, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, it would help us tremendously if you would leave a review sharing what nuggets of gold were most valuable to you and why you think other dog guardians should listen to this podcast too. And don't be a stranger. Contact me and Team Dog Liaison on Instagram, Facebook, and email. Links to all of our socials are in the description box of this episode. We are wishing you well, and we are hoping that you jump into our very next episode. We'll see you soon.